Chapter 9 of Falcons of Narabedla by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 The Return of Adric. Back in the windowless house, we snatched a hurried meal, cared for our slashed cuts, and tried to plan further. The others had not been idle while we fought the Falcons. All day Narayan's vaunted army had been accumulating, I could hardly say assembling, in that great bowl of land between Narabedla and the Dreamer's Keep. There were perhaps four thousand men, armed with clumsy powder-weapons, with worn swords that looked as if they had been long buried, with pitchforks, scythes, even with rude clubs viciously knobbed. I had been put to it to conceal my contempt for this ragtag and bobtail of an army and Narayan proposed to storm Rainbow City with this. I was flabbergasted at the confidence these men had in their young leader. So much the better, I thought, take him from them and they'll scatter to their rat-holes and crofts again. I felt my lips twisting in a bitter smile. They trusted Adric too. When I had shown myself to them, their shouts had made the very trees echo. Well, again, the ironic smile came unbidden, that was just as well, too. When Narayan was reprisoned, I could use the power of their lost leader to tear down what he himself had built. The thought was exquisitely funny. "'What are you laughing about?' Narayan asked. We were lounging on the steps of the house, watching the men thronging around the camp. His slumberous gray eyes held deep sparks of fire and without waiting for my answer he went on. Think of it, the curse of the dreamer's magic lifted. What would it mean to this land, Adric? It means life, hope, for millions of people. In a way, Narayan was right. I could remember when I had shared that dream, when it had seemed somehow more worthy than a dream of personal power. Sonara came down the steps, bent and slipped her soft arms around my shoulder, and I drew her down. A volcano of hate so great I must turn my face away burned up in me. This man was my equal. No, I admitted grudgingly, my superior, and I hated him for it. I hated him because I knew that in his dream of power no one must suffer. I hated him because once I had been weak enough to share his feelings. I said abruptly, your plans are good, Narayan. There's just one thing wrong with them. They won't work. Storming Rainbow City won't get you anywhere. You could kill Karami slaves by the thousands, or the millions, or the billions, but you couldn't kill Karami, and you'd only leave her free to enslave others. You've got to strike at them when they're in the dreamer's keep. When the dreamers wake is the only moment when they are vulnerable. But how can we get to the Dreamer's Keep, Adric? They go guarded a hundred times over there. What's your army for? I asked him roughly. To knock down haycocks? Send your men to chase off the guards. I told you I could handle Reese if it came to that. He'll get us through to the Dreamer's Keep if need be. What about Gamine? Sonara asked practically. Gamine was the least of my worries, but I did not tell Sonara that. I listened to her comments and suggestions a little contemptuously. Didn't they know that when the dreamers woke, the Narabedlins were vulnerable, to the dreamers alone? 
If I were there with Nereyan, there was no question about who would win. Sonara scowled at the rip of talons across my face. You're hurt, and you never told me, she accused. Come this minute and let me take care of it. I almost laughed. Me, Adric of the Crimson Tower, being ordered around by a little country girl. I snorted, but spoke pleasantly. I'll live, I expect. Come and sit here with us. I pulled her down at my side, but she leaned her head on her brother's knee, an unquietness in her face. She was a pretty thing, although the cause of all my troubles. When I redeemed her from Karami's slaves, for a whim, I had not known she was Nereyan's sister. Zandru's hells, but I had made a ghastly slip. I had told Nereyan there was no help for those touched by the birds, when I myself had redeemed his own sister. Had he noticed? Would he attribute it to Karami's meddling with my mind? I smothered an exclamation, and Sonara and Nereyan looked up anxiously. You are hurt, Adric. I shook my head. I fancied Nereyan looking at me with suspicion, but I controlled myself. I reached out to draw Sonara to me, but she had drawn back, rising lithely to her feet, like a dove poised for flight. Only her hands, small darting hands like candle flames, remained in mine to pull me lightly to my feet. I tried to hold her, but she protested. There is so much to be done. And I raised the slim hands to my lips before I let her go. The gesture pleased her, I could see, so much that I watched with contempt as she tripped away. Silly, simple girl! It would please her. In the end it was only Narayan and Sonara who rode with me to Rainbow City. Carol had taken the army, in sections, to set an ambush for Karami's guards. We rode in the opposite direction, by a twisting side-road. Sonara rode beside me, her dark eyes glowing. There was dainty witchery in Sonara, and a pretty trust that made me smile and promise recklessly, We will win. It pleased me to think that I could comfort Sonara for her brother's downfall. Once conditioned to Rainbow City, she would forget her silly fancies and be a fair and lovely comrade. If she continued to please me, it would be amusing to see this unformed country girl wield the power that had belonged to Karami the Golden. It took us an hour of hard riding to reach the lip of the great cup of land, where we paused, looking down the dark, almost straight avenue of trees that led to the walls of Rainbow City. I whistled tunelessly between my teeth. Whatever we do, it will be wrong. We'd be taking quite a chance to ride up to the main gate. At the same time, they'll be expecting us to sneak in the back way. They'd never expect us to come by the front avenue. The deer walks safest at the hunter's door, Narayan quoted laughing. But won't they be expecting us to use that kind of logic? Sonara giggled, subsided at my frown. At that rate, I said, we could go on all night. Narayan reached overhead, snatching down a crackling sheaf of frostberries, selected one narrow pod. He held it between finger and thumb. Chance. Two seeds, we go around. Three, we ride straight up the main gate. Agreed? I nodded, and he crushed the dry husk. One, two, three seeds rolled into my outstretched palm. Fate, 
Narayan said with a shrug. Ready, then? I jounced the seeds in my palm. One for Everin, and one for Idris, and one for Karami, I said contemptuously, and flung the little black balls into the road. We'll scatter them like that. We were lucky. The drive was deserted. If there were guards out for us at all, they had been posted somewhere on the secret paths, straight toward the towers we rode, under the westering red sun, and just before dusk we checked our horses and tethered them within a mile of the Rainbow City, going forward cautiously on foot. I objected to this arrangement. "'I'll get in alone,' I told them. "'If anything happens to me, we mustn't lose you as well.' "'I'll stay.' said Narayan briefly. If anything goes wrong, I'll be here to help. Silently I damned the man's loyalty, but there was nothing I could say without spoiling the illusion I had worked so hard to create. I took his hand for a minute. Thank you. His voice was equally abrupt. Good luck, Adric. Sonara glanced at me briefly and away again. I walked away from them without looking back. It was easy enough to find my way into the labyrinthine towers. I was not Lord of the Crimson Tower without knowing its secrets. I climbed the stairs swiftly, ransacked the place. To no avail. When she took my memories, Karami had also been careful to take everything which could conceivably give me any power over any of the dreamers, even old Reese. I went up more stairs till I stood at the very pinnacle of the tower in Adric's star-room, into which I had been catapulted. Was it less than three days ago? I stood at the high window, vaguely thinking of an older Adric, an Adric who had watched the stars here, and not alone. I traced back through the years, diving down deep into the seas of sudden memory, and brought up the knowledge of— "'Mike Kenscott,' said a voice behind me, and I whirled to look into the face of a man I had never seen before. He had the primitive look of a man out of some forgotten past. I had seen such men as I swam in the light of the time ellipse. He was tall and clean-shaven. He looked athletic. His eyes were a ridiculous color, dark brown. He had hair. He looked angry, if he could be said to have an expression. But he spoke, clearly and with a deliberate calm. Well, Mike Kenscott, he said in a language I had never heard, but found myself understanding perfectly. You have taken my place very nicely. I suppose I should thank you. You have given me freedom, and Narayan's trust. The rest I can do for myself. He laughed. In fact, you're so much me that I'm not much of myself. But I can force you back into your own body. The man must be mad. At any rate, he'd insulted the Lord Adric in his own tower, and by Zandru's eyelashes he'd pay for it. I flung myself at him with a yell of rage. My fingers dug into his throat. And I cried out in the stifling clutch of lean fingers grabbing at me, biting at my neck, my shoulders. An agonizing wrench shuddered over my body. I faced... Adric. End of chapter 9